0: Welcome back to Taming of a Brew. I am Sita Harris, and I'm delighted to be reading another extract of the novel. I told you of the ramifications of an alliance. Now that you have heard it from your legal advisor, you might start to believe me. Sebastian hesitated, but went ahead, replying to Devika. She kept quiet and carried on walking, avoiding people coming across her direction. Back to the car, they both took their seats without any words spoken. Devika found herself, drank some water, and wiped her forehead. Bayamid started the engine and lowered the windows. He sensed the tension in the air, took off the handbrake, and manoeuvred the car out of its spot. As they moved, a flock of sparrows fluttered out from a nearby banyan tree. The busy hum of the city soon faded away. Behind them, Poly's dockside walls bask in golden glow of the lowering sun. Soon the traffic will thicken, commuters heading back home to cool heights outside the city. I learned there are troubles of more than one kind. Some come from ahead, others come from behind, but I have bought a big hat. I'm ready, you see. Now my troubles are going to have trouble with me, doctor Seuss. The devil always gives one of the best deal in the worst situations, and temptation is at the foot of it. vicar was weighing down her odds of making the tea estate work without selling her soul to the devil, and Sébastien stood by her like an archangel. But the young man did not know about his status, nor the effect in the coming months of her destiny. She was only too eager to get back home, and hold her daughter close to her heart. Getting her strength from her, as her life was devoid of anyone else, she could count on blindly. Each day she hoped she could receive a letter from her wretched husband. None arrived. Madame, excuse me, may I drop by my house on the way to give my wage to my wife, please? It will only take ten minutes. This would save me coming back to Bejtombo again tomorrow, which might take my whole half-day. Of course, Bayamid, you can stop by, replied Devika with a smile. Some urban parts of Pauleville were beautiful, others were not. They passed scruffy small holdings, small low-cost houses called cités, men standing in the shade of huge mango trees on beaten earth, flat scrap lands, smoking or playing cards, while little boys played with broken wheels of bicycles and played marbles. Goats roam around the surrounding area, their tails twitching away the flies, climbing on mounds of rock among the aloop-spiked branches. Then the car went through an ugly industrial and retail estate, part which smelled fishy thanks to the tuna plant nearby. Each building had their base covered in red dust, as this corner was conveniently called Thiers Brightly coloured Tamil temples stood with their gods reliefs clad in espaliers, with defiant faces and menacing weapons up in the air. Not far a muezzin was calling for the afternoon prayer, while the church bells of Père Laval joined in the lively cacophony. Soon, after they had driven in silence for more than ten minutes, they came upon a ridge of a wooded hill, and the sea suddenly appeared in view below them, taking Sebastian by surprise. A sparkling jewel, jade green that faded into a turquoise haze at the horizon appeared as a vision, exuding a calming and peaceful golden sky. Wow, he breathed, forgetting to be surly. The light, he said quietly. I'd forgotten the light. Bayamid slowed the car and pulled over to the side of the road, allowing them to take in the vista. When was the last time you were here? asked Bayamid to Devika. Twenty years maybe? That's a long time. Yes, Devika replied pensively. They carried on slowly, zigzagging down the side of the hill, until they reached a sharp turn, the road looping around a haramshackled tin roof cottage, surrounded by a higgly piggly yard. Chickens were scratching the bare soil among laundry hung from branches of old trees that threw long shadows in the afternoon light. A middle-aged woman in a headscarf sat on a step in the shade shelling peas into a colander. She peered forward as the car stopped, squinting to see better. Nearby, an old man sat on a stool in the shade of a longan tree. One hand was on the bowl of a walking stick dug into ground beside him. The other was holding a length of a plastic twine. The twine was attached to a collar worn by a small brown and white goat that was feeding from a bucket at the old man's feet. His shoulders were hunched. His ears stuck out like bats' wings. His head was shiny, sunburned and wrinkly, with a wisp of two old white hair. Bayabid lifted his arm and greeted him as he turned around towards the car. My father, he is eighty-nine now. Is that him? David Callen said. Oui, madame. He wants to go to Hajj, but we can't afford it. Bejitombo wasn't far. Bayamid went to give the wages to his wife, and soon after appeared smiling ear to ear with a plate of something wrapped in a newspaper. Madame, my wife just made hot farata. She sent these for you. Veronique cannot make these. Please have them now. The vicar inquired about the welfare of his wife and gladly took a hot farata. Here, have one. They're always delicious when eaten while hot, handing it to Sebastian. The young man had a amazed look on his face and took the soft farata. had a bite and smiled brightly. This is indeed very nice. Please thank your wife on my behalf. It reminds me of my own home. Although not so familiar to our crêpe Breton, But it has the same homemade warmth to it. They headed back, bumped around a hairpin bend, and headed steeply downhill. Bayamid was taking an unexpected shortcut to reach home faster, feeling guilty for having taken time from their schedule. The tarmac road had disintegrated in places, and was full of potholes. The car nudged as the wheels struggled with the uneven terrain. Sebastien braced himself against the dashboard, trying to stop his body bumping. He could see the net headline A strange couple drown off the cliff plunge. Breton man trip ends in horror. What else was he thinking of? He was used to the flat terrain in Brittany, where he lived, and this small island was certainly giving him a lot of new experiences. We're nearly there, stuttered Bayamid. The view of a perfect concave bay opened out before them. In the far distance, the sea and sky merged in a shimmer. Closer in, the sunlight caught the tips of the small, innocuous waves, whose only purpose it seemed was to add to some sparkle to the perfectly blue water that reflected the blue sky. Fishing boats were silhouetted on the waves, disappearing into the glimmer and then reappearing. Sébastien could see a swath of white, sandy beach and, beyond that, lines of villas built above the beach road and amongst the trees that covered the hill. This is Bé du monsieur Sébastien. I grew up here and spent my childhood days swimming like a fish. Ah, le bon vieux temps! When they reached Bonne Espérance... Sébastien was happy to get out of the car and stood beside the ticking engine, assaulted by the outside air on the high plateau. The scent was intoxicating, the deafening buzz of insects among the blooms. The shadows were lengthening, the sun was blazing towards the horizon, and the promise of evening hung around them. Sébastien breathed in the air, perfumed by jasmine rose, and felt like a Philocles. He opened the iron gate with a loud clunking as the chain that held the gates together clattered on the ground. He took hold of one of the gates and heaved. It groaned monstrously and moved slowly. When the gap was wide enough, he squeezed through and stood aside, making way for the Vicar. He did not go directly to the house but disappeared into the gardens. It felt strange to be alone. It was so quiet, the only sounds were the insects, and the gentle splashing of water against rock from a nearby stream down the garden. The heat contained inside the wall was warm, and the sweet waft of jasmine rising, reminiscent of Devika's perfume. He was standing on a stone, paved pathway, gravel beneath the soles of his leather shoes, weeds, self-seeded grasses and wild flowers growing between the small stones. On either sides, shrubs and climbers tangled together. Flowers climbed through the trees, set free from their beds and their borders. Cicadas sang birds' flutters here and there, between the branches. It was amazing to witness nature going to sleep. He took a few steps forward, turned a corner and saw Marcel ahead of him. Fading sunlight gilded the garden. He reached up into the leaves of a guava tree and picked a fruit. He raised it to his lips and bit into it. It was still unripe, so he threw the fruits into the flowers. La nature, c'est magique, said the old caretaker. He had come to close the small entrances along the end walls to prevent trespassing. Sébastien nodded in silence. He naturally followed the old man through alternating patches of golden sunlight and deep shade as the drive meandered to the left then to the right. At every step, something new revealed itself. A wild creeper scrambling over a statue of Buddha or Ganesha, covered in moss, a patch of bright orange zinnias, a lizard posing on a giant sundial with a crack in the centre, a huge jackfruit, its trunk gnarled and solid as rock with countless green spiky bulbs' fruits hanging off it, defying gravity. Then at last, behind a line of tapiri gone wild, masking the last entrance, a door. It was locked. A straggler pigeon startled them, rising up from amongst the undergrowth, the sound of its wings like gunshot. Sébastien walked closer to Marcel, so close that he could smell the fabric of his shirt, his skin, his sweat of the long day. The two men waded back quietly to the villa, When the sun set, the garden plunged into darkness. Without the guidance of Marcel, he wouldn't be able to see anything. He shivered, remembering the lone walks he had to do in winter in his hometown. Nights were so dark and vocal too. It's always when the night is darker that noises arise more. A fruit bat fluttered its wings and flew over their heads to a nearby tree. When the villa came into view, Sébastien realized how far he had gone into the big garden surrounding the villa. The color of the light grew even more intense. Scarlet and gold bled across the sky. One last hurrah before the sun died and the villa's facade glowed red. He felt relieved that he had reached home. Marcel bid him goodnight and disappeared into the darkness. Sébastien's emotions were knotted. He needed unraveling. Stretching out he needed a bath and a comfortable bed, soft pillows, space to uncurl his emotions. He entered the villa under the smiling eyes of Veronique, who probably anticipated his untagness. The young woman showered her care over Devika and himself for the dinner which warmed the heart. They both needed that. The day they had in the sweltering heat of the capital and the detour with Bayamid was were enough to dig in something comforting, to feel grounded and relaxed again. They ate in silence. The folks did the talking. Sometimes silences meant unspoken aches. At home in Brittany, his aunt would have cooked him his favourite chicken stew with potatoes, but here it was goat meat with chiyote called shushu locally. It is a delicately flavoured vegetable which grew abundantly around the house as it loves cold climates, He has started liking this, his evening meals as it felt like home, discovering new tastes. Veronique was always on the side, discreet but attentive, ready to serve if anything more was needed. This brings us to the end of this episode. I hope you have enjoyed listening to it and stay tuned for the next one. Goodbye for now.